Hello and welcome to this episode of How Would You Run That? A Dungeons and Dragons podcast and ideas factory with me, Lucas Tomlinson. And me, Jake Canner. In this podcast, we'll be discussing some aspect of Dungeons and Dragons. An encounter, location, trap, puzzle, NPC, PC, god, magic item, or really anything that can exist in the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Importantly, we'll then be asking each other the question, how would you run that? At the end of each episode, one of us will reveal the topic for next week's episode to the other and ask, how would you run that? Giving us each a week to research, plan, and prepare how we would run said thing. Today's episode is on the intervention of the gods. Lucas, how would you run that? Hello, Jake. What's your uh, exciting news for the week? My exciting news for the week is that... I've discovered sugar-free dandelion and burdock, and it's changed my absolute world. Well, I like the flavour of dandelion and burdock, but I'm not super into fizzy drinks in general, not super into all the sugar. I also was never really into sugar-free drinks either, but some has appeared in the fridge, and it tastes somehow like the the modern edge because it's sugar-free and it's cool and it's edgy. It's also dandelion and burdock. It tastes like the 70s. And those two things combined is just, oh, it's a glorious party in my mouth and not so much a party on my hips. 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I mean, that's, yeah, I completely understand that. What are you drinking? Uh, I drink, as, as we've talked about in this podcast before, I drink copious amounts of tea. Um... You know, start the day with the tea, all through work. Might have a few glasses of water in between, and then tea in the evening, and yeah. What's your brand? Uh, I'm not such a loyalist on brand. I do <gasps> like a bargain. Okay, But okay. I'll, I've got, you know, I don't know, like the, the amount of times you buy a big box of tea, the, there's usually one of them offer. See, the PG Tips, Yorkshire Tea is the, 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 the prime one. That's, if that's, that's the standard, yeah. Get a few of those boxes in. Um... I don't know, we have Thai food at work, which I never drank before, and that's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm less fussy on what brand it is, um, but I do remember once when I was a student, I tried, like, it might have been the Asda-owned brand tea bags. Like the Red Label? Or... Yeah, yeah, like like their own brand, cheapest chips one, and that was just bad. I didn't like that. But, you know, I, I did that with everything. Like, everything. as soon as I had to buy things for myself for the first time, it's like, right, the cheapest of everything, because I'm sure it's all fine. And yeah. you quickly realise what you can't do that for. Yeah, that's it. You have little spikes of luxury in amongst the general, like, bottom tier of everything. <laughs> um, most things, like, instantly just took a step up. Mm. Um, tea bags is memorable from that week. Um, <laughs> Lou Roll also. Never look back. Always go for the branded stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Biscuits. Mm. Cheap biscuits are still good. I'm, yep. all, I'm happy with that. Why would you drink? I'm a coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon kind of guy. In fact, I'm surprised okay. you don't drink more coffee when you're like Euro household. Uh, a little bit, yeah. Coffee, uh, Charlotte drinks a lot of coffee. Like at my old work, what we do at this work as well. But at my old work, we had we had a new coffee machine at one point. It was wow. a big like automated thing for the office of 200, right? Yeah, and I've got one of those. Classic Sports Direct mugs, you know, the big ones that you see in everyone's office. Yeah, the one you never asked for, that they charged you a quid for, but now you've got it, you can't get rid of it. Every office has about five of them in the back of the cupboard, so I was like, <laughs> right, fantastic. But um, I'd, I'd fill this with coffee from the machine, and it's like it ground it for you in the machine. Yeah. Like, it was really good coffee, but three of those in one day was just like, I was like getting shakes at the desk. <laughs> um, and I was having like one a day and not really thinking much about it, but then 
I don't know. I just got a bit of a headache one day. And I was like, oh, maybe it's all this caffeine I'm drinking. I was like, <laughs> yeah, just sacked it off. I don't drink coffee at work anymore. Uh, it was, I went the other way. I had I was having as much coffee in my life that when I stopped, I thought, I'm having too much caffeine. I then got the headaches and thought, you know what? I need to wean myself off slowly. I can't call turkey this <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. Go on, then what's happening for you? What's what's new in the world of Lucas and Sheffield? It was a nice day. What is new you must be feeling oh. chipper. Yeah, pretty good. I'm enjoying the weather. Um, but I guess what's new with us? We've been driving around Sheffield picking up pallets from industrial estates. Cool. Not not just randomly. I mean, they've been <laughs> they've been purchased online first. Um, eBay seems to have a sweet deal on on old pallets. Cool. On Monday, we had to get up early before work to go and drive to the other end of Sheffield to pick up a pallet to bring it back because. The place we were buying it from was only open Monday to Friday from 8 till 2 or something stupid. Yeah. So we had to do it before work. And then <laughs> oh, we got all the, um, the school traffic on the way back. But anyway, we've got the pallets because Charlotte is making planters from the pallets, which is really nice. That's cool. I assumed you weren't starting a shipping company. No, no, no. no not, not yet. <laughs> um, for now, we're just breaking down the pallets for the woods, and she's made a few pretty nice planters out of it and like painted them up and lined them and stuff. So Nice. Yeah. That's that. Is there any other British stereotype we need to hit? Because we've done tea, we've done um, weather, we're now doing gardens. Is there anything else we need to touch on just to make sure everyone knows that we're a British podcast? You haven't said that you've had fish and chips recently. You've mentioned that before. Yeah, well, I haven't had it recently. I'm not going to lie to people. Mm. That's fine. No, I mean, we could talk about like planning the next time we're going to have fish and chips. Um, so the Queen, what's she up to? <laughs> Not spoke to her recently. <laughs> Have you followed the the Queen's parody account on Twitter? No, it was oh yes, I've not seen I've not seen that for a while though. No, I think they now have to like put parody in brackets because it was just like Queen UK. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you you know there's some idiots out there that think that's the genuine Queen. So on the topic, okay, let's talk more British Twitter things. Have you seen the Big Ben Twitter? No, what's that all about? Just looking down at all the plebs or what? No, not at all. It's just every hour on the hour, it tweets the number of bongs that are in the hour. So two o'clock, it just tweets bong, bong. And that's what it does. And I adore that it's being used for that. I think it's been going for 10 years. Who knows? I like things like that, where someone's thought of a way to get a lot of attention somehow, like some stupid thing, but like... I'm and I'm assuming there's some sort of automated thing behind that that makes it happen. Must be but, now. Yeah, but but without a way to sort of monetize or capitalize on that, what are they doing it for? Oh, it's entirely pointless. It's just a wonderful bit of silliness. It's harks back to you know 2005 internet when nothing was monetized and everything was wonderful. No, I, I'm not about that. It's incredibly inefficient. What a waste of time. <laughs> like, there needs to be some. There needs to be something to come from this. Nah, just enjoy the art of mm. silliness, you know? I mean, what, what, what are we doing? We aren't monetized. Not yet. Uh-huh. That's the plan. We're going to get those 17 million listens a week and, yeah. and quit the day job. Fair point. Okay, so shout out to anyone that's listening. Show this podcast to one of your friends this week who hasn't heard <laughs> it, please. And if we keep doing that, we'll have a pyramid scheme on our hands. Yeah, special, special shout out to Lisa if she's listening she's a client at work one of my <laughs> colleagues mentioned it on a client call today so if she is listening fantastic love that can't wait for you to tell me about it in a few weeks time <laughs> rock and roll alright let's bring you back around to the matter at hand Lucas I asked you a week or so ago intervention of the gods how would you run that so let's talk your session 
Okie doke. So, thinking about how to bring it in. What's significant enough to get a bunch of gods interested in the party and, like, intervening in some way? Yeah. And so I thought, I thought about a session, and this is one you can plan and just have on the back burner whenever you want. Because I'm thinking about having the intervention of the gods as a failsafe or a safety net for a TPK. Okay. Total party kill. Yeah, yeah. So I'm picturing the party has had some sort of encounter or something unexpected happened, and you as a DM have accidentally killed them all. Accidentally, not so accidentally. You've, for whatever reason, it's, it's happened. Yeah. Your party's dead. You end the session on a big cliffhanger, right? We'll pick up next time. When the party gathers again, they are in sort of an amphitheater. Okay. The scenario I'm playing is it's, it's going to be in the middle of a like, forgotten jungle type thing. There's like this big stone amphitheater with vines and big palms and uh, like rubber tree looking things like the split leaves. Um, nice. Background noise is all like tropical birds and stuff. Like it's, it's, it's unknown uncharted lands, right? Mm-hmm. They're like Amazon rainforest type thing. Yeah. They're in the middle of this amphitheater on, on sort of a stage and they are in their, you know, physical forms. Fine, mm-hmm. they think, but then they look in front of them and there's a small pile of corpses, oh, no. which is them and the party. And you can describe like, you know, if you know one party member died to something like fireball, say, you know, their scorched remains are there. Like you describe, like you can physically see, yeah, that did happen. Mm-hmm. But they're there, and as they sort of take in the surroundings, they realise that they're sort of they're at the bottom of this amphitheatre. Around the outside are these large stone, like they look like seats to you and me, like like sofa type things, like thrones. Okay. But like you know, they're, they're quite overgrown and stuff, and like it doesn't really like there's stone structures around the outside. And one by one, these stone seats start to fill, and a selection of gods appear from different pantheons. Cool. And basically, the party has died but they've not travelled to the afterlife. Being a party of adventurers, you know, being uh, of note, you know, strong, capable in comparison to the average person, Yeah, yeah. each of the gods has a proposition for them to gain their favour. So this is like a group auction almost, where they are, <laughs> for their lives, yeah. they are exchanging it for something with the gods. Oh, cool, okay. So it's not a case of we're the gods, you're alive again, Good luck. They yeah. all want something from the party. They've got their own goals and stuff, and they want something. Um, and so I've selected a selection of mm-hmm. gods. Cool. A smorgasbord of deities. Yes. Oh, one second. Oh, a Sports Direct mug has arrived. It's a Sports Direct mug, <laughs> uh, full of tea and biscuits. Shouts oh, making biscuits. That's a beast. That's a huge biscuit. Chocolate chip cookies the size of your head. So I've been looking through different source books and I've tried to find maybe well one maybe obvious one but a few less common deities that people might want to try out because these gods are not so well known do whatever you want with them like there's, a, there's enough a little like you know yeah. this is the god to pick them up but you can make the rest up that's a bit of fun as well if you've got like a really big hitter god that everyone knows you've got Pelor or whatever then mm. there are already temples to them they've got clerics if you find some lesser known sort of backbencher gods that don't have an awful yeah. lot of influence in the world this is a good opportunity it's like I'm here and I want something but I'm powerful <laughs> so- yeah exactly and, and you know that's how that's why maybe they've taken an interest in a group of regular adventurers you know it's like the level of their ambition matches the level of ability of the party Perfect. The harlot's not swooping down and saying, yo, guys, 
let's be righteous. It's it's you know <laughs> the fucking loser weird ones that uh, turn up and like want something. Nice. All right. So who's who's on the list? Who's in the palette of gods? Okay. So so I've said like one one's really obvious and a big one. So I'm gonna have the Raven Queen there just because again mm-hmm. I really like the Raven Queen, um, and she just fits really well into it. But yeah, she's there. I, I guess it's worth saying like I'm not imagining all of these being physically there. Not that all of them got a physical representation, but I'm not imagining them being physically there as like a humanoid with, you know, fancy clothes that suit them. Yeah. Like I'm seeing them being there as like weird, like not angels in a biblical sense, like that sort of thing. But you know, something more that direction. Like they're less obviously humanoid. So it's like an icon or a motif of the god, or it could be. So for the Raven Queen, like it could just be like um, a giant anthropomorphic raven, say, you know, cool. or like um, something like. I don't know, imagine like a giant hood with just a beak sticking out, just floating <laughs> over this throne, like no lower half, you know, and that's that's the, you know, her representation here in this sort of uh, meeting. Yeah, cool. That's a bit of fun. So you killed, got the Raven Queen? Yeah. Um, and she's obviously in the center. She's the big one. She's got right. first choice. She's going to speak first to the party uh, and she's going to make the worst offer out of the group. Cool. So, okay. It's just like Dragon's uh, Dead. <laughs> Effectively, yeah. <laughs> all right, okay, so it's Dragon's Den with the God. It's, it's Dungeons and Dragon's Den. Oh my God, we should have seen this one coming. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah, right, so they're in... You know it's called Shark Tank in the US? Yeah, what's that all about? I don't know. I'm not about that. Nah. But, okay, so... Dungeons oh, and Dragon's that's Den. Thing. That's... Well, well done, us. <laughs> yes. I, I'm so happy. Right, cool. So she's making the worst offer. Imagine, like, if you've got all your options, this is the one that's, like, the least interesting. You can sort of just carry on with your regular thing, you know, and you don't really have to do a lot. Yeah. Um, it's going to be the least flavoured and have the least impact on, on the rest of them. So okay. I want to try and dissuade them from this with interesting, exciting stuff from elsewhere that has more story implications. Okay. So basically, um, she just wants their memories. So, like, yeah. ev- like, and like not in life, like, at death. She wants, like, their memories in death. So... They will not just like go on to a regular afterlife, you know, they'll be owned and claimed by her and she'll mark them in some way and that's it. So they'll still go around the regular day to day, you know, and you might, you could build in some other story elements if you want to, but, you know, that's the get out of jail card. Sure. Go out into the world, cause some tragedy. Every time you do, you get a raven feather tattoo and I'll see you when you're dead. That's really cool, actually. Yeah. So obviously I was thinking marked when they leave there and return to, you know, the material plane, but... What you're saying is every time they do something of consequence, they get another, like, feather tattoo. Mm. That's very cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, so they slowly start, you know, as they do more and more tragic things. They become Jared Leto. <laughs> Feathery Jared Leto. <laughs> cool, so we've got the Raven Queen. She's the, the main player. Otherwise, I've got four more. Cool. I don't know if you're going to know about who these guys are. That's right, I've got Google at the ready. Okay, so I've got Erebos. Erebos. Sounds Erebos cool. is... From Mystic Odysseys of Theros. So he's a Therosi god. Um, and he is basically the god of the underworld. He's Hades, but in Theros setting, from okay, what I can gather. Okay. Um, and he's like a very slim humanoid with like ram's horns. What's Erebos all about? Uh, Erebos, he wants their souls. He has very little dominion in the straight up material plane. Um, and he is trying to muscle in on that territory. Uh, he's doing this by getting people's souls individually. He wants to claim them when they die so that he can have it. So basically, because his party died 
like you know of natural you know in inverted commas natural causes natural adventuring causes <laughs> and on the material plane in whatever setting you're in yeah. he has no claim on their soul he's not got a seat at that table when the souls come to wherever they go next right he wants in so he says to the party that you know in exchange for your life again i want your soul upon your death right so it's like it's similar to the raven queen but it's maybe more dire because you know their their soul compared to their memories is is a bit different. You know, it's like maybe maybe a player's really attached to their soul for whatever reason. So okay, what does set those two apart? What do you reckon? So on top of that, he wants them to meet a soul quota. Ooh, not just give me your soul, sends more souls to me. Yes, I want Got you it. to reap souls for me. You guys are killing people anyway. You know, I want those souls from those dead people. Right. So. Uh, they have a quota, and you like depending on how combat heavy your uh, scenario is. I'm thinking of like one soul each per week. Okay, it's almost like a, a warlock patron level thing going on, but yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's what it is. These guys are entering a deal with these gods, yeah, to get their lives back. And what I'm thinking is, he gives each of and you know as a boon, he gives each of them a weapon, like a just a regular plus one or something, mm. um, magic weapon. That in some way will you know facilitate the soul harvesting. Sure. So I mean, I'm looking at these people as you're talking, but it seems that Erebos's thing is gold, gold infused tattoos, gold stuff. It symbolizes the grasp of the god of death. So yes. Some sort of gold inlay on a dagger or something. Kill somebody with this once a week, and I'm your boy. Exactly. And then if you have, for whatever reason, a scenario where there's no one around to kill, you get towards the end of the week and you've got to meet your quota. Fuck. Like, what are you gonna do? Yeah. You have to go out and kill someone. <laughs> And that's funny, and that's like, there could be some moral questions around that. Who's available, you know, if you're out in the wild somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought that that's a, a, an interesting way to, to, to put like a little subplot in. It's cool that there's for the whole party there as well, because I've played in games where you've got you know, like your one warlock character who has to do something similar. You know, send B-Souls once a week, otherwise mm. revving words. And then you get yeah. that moment where that warlock goes away and does a murder, and the rest of your party is just, what the hell, mm. bro? Whereas this is like the party en masse have to come to terms with like, we now need to go to that village and slaughter some folks. Otherwise, we're going to get godly slaughtered. And as a group, they have to come to that moral conclusion rather Mm. than just ostracizing one of the group. So one thing I I hadn't really settled on with this was whether the whole group had to agree to the same patron. Ah, right. Okay. I I was thinking yes, but I wanted to see what you thought about it, whether it would be too erratic to track like potentially five different uh requirements mm. like on a, on a session by session basis so i think i think for now it's like let's let's imagine it all as one but then we can always decide that if feels easier doesn't it because as you say yeah. yeah you'd have to track as many as your party each have a pact and you think oh god the mechanic of them but at least even if that you went that way because everyone's present for the conversation everyone is now aware that Vestel has to go off and murder a sentient creature once a week, and if she doesn't, then it's bad times. So when she does that, we don't judge her. Yeah. You know? That's it. We were all there. We all had that choice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so bearing in mind then the idea that we're having everyone having one group patron. Yes. Um, the next one is Erdlin. Erdlin. Erdlin is a gnomish god. Okay. Yes, and he is pretty damn greedy. Intermediate deity is his uh, subtitle. Well, that's it. These guys aren't aren't all heavy hitters. Mm. Most of the gnomish gods are pretty happy-go-lucky, you know, 
following off like Gary Glittergold. What? He's like the main gnomish god. Gary Glittergold? It's not Gary Glittergold, is it? It's, what's it called? <laughs> Garl Glittergold? Not better! <laughs> Glittergold. What's his name? It's something like that. This is really reinforcing the Britishness of the podcast if we're bringing in known paedophiles. Gar- Sorry, Garl Glittergold. It's G-A-R-L. Entirely different. Garl Glittergold. I mean, that is... That is t- I'm going to put my hands on my hips and frown. He's the, like, the main gnome god. Right. Do you want to be in my gang? <laughs> if that's how he comes out, Gar Glittergold. Oh, Do you want to be in my gang? Oh, don't. Oh. <laughs> anyway, he's the main guy, and, like, a lot of the other ones are sort of, like, in his gang, and he, like, gets them together to do stuff, and that's, like, how the gnomish gods are described. Like, he gets right. them together for something. Uh, Erdlin is a bit of a shit, and he's not part of that group. Like, he's the, the outcast gnomish god. Okay. And he's, like, about greed and murder and... Yeah, his thing is, he's, like, a molish-type gnome. So, like, I'm imagining in the seat a giant mole. Yeah, I'm seeing naked mole rats. They're calling him white mole, blind, hairless, sexless, but with claws of steel. So, yeah, he's sat in the seat, and what he wants... He's, like, up to no good, obviously. Mm -hmm. So he's gonna... In exchange for their lives... He wants, like, a one-off big payment. Like, he wants the party to deliver within the space of X amount, like, some gold to him. And he has a plan of how to do that. And it's, like, maybe some sort of heist or robbery. Like, for basically, he's found a place where there's loads of gold or things of value, and he wants that, and he wants the party to do this bad thing for him. Okay, so he wants gold. Cool. Why, mm-hmm. why is that the motivation? Is it just so it's an easy thing to think of as a DM, or is that playing to the gods... Um, I mean, you could you could have some thing. some item and have it like you know I want you to steal this item from that place, but right. um, I just thought, yeah, give me a ton of value. I want stuff of value so that I can do whatever it is a god does with his treasure, hoard it somewhere underground. Sure, cool, but that's that's fun. So yeah, okay, one big thing they have a quest and adventure they've got to complete. Mm-hmm. They've got enough information to start digging. You give them a big old quest hook. Cool. Good way to yep. get everyone back in the game. Yeah, and then once you've completed that, you can either, you know, double or nothing sort of thing. Like, maybe he doesn't release you straight away. You know, like, he's he's not to be trusted. Ah, what a he, shit. You were, you were so good, I want more, you know? They don't know that at the time, but that's how it could go on from there. Yeah, cool. Okay, that's Erdlan. Erdlan. Um, on a similar note, we've got the dwarvish god, Rocknar. Rocknar, okay. R-O-K-N-A-R. And if Erdlin was greedy, Rocknar is super greedy because he's a greedy dwarf. Cool. Okay. So what's well, what's the shtick? Greedy dwarf. He is the god. He is the god of yeah, greed, lies, and intrigue. Like so, he's pretty. He's, you know, he's not too dissimilar from Erdlin, but um, he's he's greedier. Okay. Uh, and I see him as what like rather than like with Erebos, like wanting souls, he just wants value. He wants stuff, things, gold. So with him, you've got to pay, like, installments from okay. now until the end of your regular life. Like, so, again, if you oh. once a week, once a month, whatever, there's a, a sum of value of items, like, or gold, mm. and the party has to provide him with it. So, you know, around the same time every month or week, one of his envoys arrives, and, you know, he's there to claim whatever it is they've got to give. Okay. And it has to be theirs to give. And then that's, you know, so the party, in addition to whatever quest they're on, have to amass wealth or collect 
you know, stuff that is worth something and give it up. It's quite nice to have something to do with all those like odd magical items that you end up amassing as a party over the course of a campaign. Yeah. You know, the little plus ones, you think, oh yeah, it's got a lot of value, that'll be good, but then eventually you're on a a big quest across the desert or in a non-civilised part of the world, but you can't just go and rob stuff or purchase things or no. what have you. You start running dry having to give up. At some point, there's probably going to be a point where they've got to make a real decision about something that is an active item. So That's what I was thinking. So like, cool. like that plus one javelin that you've held onto for so long and never used. Yeah. Get rid the 99 elixirs in your inventory in Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> I, know, I don't think I ever used an elixir in Final Fantasy. It feels like such a waste, but they're so good. Mm. Well, okay. That's his shtick. So that differs from Erdlan, who's like a, a one-off, get me this one thing. So I'm sending you on a quest, do this job for me, and we're even. This is like, super, as you say, super greedy, super slimy. You're on mm. a retainer. I'm coming. I'm never out of your life. Exactly. Yeah. Ugh. Right? Yeah. And then for number number five... Yeah, Mambo. I've got Sehanine Moonbow. Okay. She's the elven goddess of... Well, she's described in a bit of a weird way. The elven pantheon itself is a bit weird, but she, she's sort of uh, revered as this sort of... You know, she's to do with death on the one hand, but also bringing life into the world. Okay. So it's like full circle kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. So she's all about the goddess of moonlight, the lunar lady, the mystic seer... Luminous yeah, fire. so like she's the antithesis today, you know. It's like, yeah. but she's also a part of the full cycle of a of a day, you know, and, and she's necessary. Yes, okay. The yang to the yin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how I see her, anyway. Cool. Um, and what she's going to do is she's basically got a different kind of quest where you are going to have to help save something or someone, like preserving life and keeping it in the world by, you know, killing whatever it is that's attacking. Okay. And it's going to be some, like, again, a one-off quest somewhere um, to sort of, like, pr- like find out about these guys here, like this halfling settlement or something, yeah. and defend them against whatever's attacking them. I'm with you. So again, that's a one-off quest. Um, and this is maybe, like, if the party are finding all the rest of the options too dark or sinister or, like, you know, not on what their character would be about, this yeah. is then the option where you get a, a you know... There's nothing for you to gain afterwards. It's just, here is something you must do. Yeah. And that is it. You know, I'm impeaching you. I'll save your life if you can save others. Nice. Okay. I suppose the first question that comes to mind with all of these things is it seems like all they have to do is say yes to someone and they get to come back into the world. So, what happens if they don't do the things? If they don't do the things? So, so Well, okay, let's say your party has hmm. agreed to one of the gods. And yeah. I don't mind who it is, because I assume we could we could just common up the penalty here. But yes, we will go and we will at some point when we're in the next big city, we're gonna go and rob the big bank and we're going to get you, Birdland, all of the gold. Good, and, good, excellent. And the impressive glaive of digging or some some oddity that you want, fine. We will do that thing. Except mm-hmm. they don't. Ah, well then you're gonna get uh, summoned once again to this location. Yeah. Um, and you have to answer for your crimes. Hmm. You've not been, you know, you've not done what you said, so there's going to be some sort of penalty. And I want it to be a heavy penalty. You know, it's like, you still have to do what you said you would do, but now you have to do it with, I don't know, minus two constitution. Yeah. You know, I am bringing you closer to death because you are not doing what I've said. Don't cross me again. 
big penalties then yeah yeah like or if it was one of the you know one of the better options like so for um Seheni Moonbose mm-hmm. you could have it being like she can't you know this is the deal that's been made you've broken it um I'm not able to keep you on you know keep you alive like this was it was a requirement of our agreement that you do this and now without that um uh, your connection to your life essence is detaching sure so the pact you made is indeed the thing that fuels your life force and if you renege on that you're essentially severing your own connection to the mortal coil yes you if, nice. I mean, if you're making a deal with a god that's not the sort of thing you can break so easily no 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 um and it's only through their you know greed or whatever mm. that they're keeping you on rather than just sacking you off straight away yeah okay that's a pretty cool way then firstly tpk they happen but mm. sometimes you don't want that to happen. I mean, I can't think of a time you do want that to happen, but I know the first time it happened to me and the group we were playing with, we all followed one player into the certain doom room <laughs> because they went through a curtain of something and we are all like, well, we would follow them, see what happens. And we go in, it's like, hello, I am the Deathbringer. And we all met our deaths because this one player decided to, I'm going to run through. And we're all like, Leroy Jenkins has Leroy Jenkins, mm. and now we have to go in after them. Yeah, I've not had a TPK before, but I can't imagine it's very satisfying. I think that's the thing, because you, it is intentionally cut short, and that's the perfect way to describe it, yeah, unsatisfying. Mm. I think it would be different if like, you, we're going to go into battle against a million dragons and the odds are slim, and if you go in and you, you do the fight and you come out and you die, you think, okay, we went in, prepared fully in the knowledge... Fine. But sometimes, I think, well, even maybe often, you think, maybe it's the same with all character deaths. When they happen, you think it's just a twist of fate. I mean, it almost happened to you the other day. It was all like, yeah. roll, roll, roll. Like, I was not expecting that wizard to roll so high. And down you go. I'm like, oh no, this, this wasn't the, the plan, you know? And then I failed two death saves. And, yeah. You know, yeah, I was lucky. I was, I was really bummed, but I was going to take it if it happened. Well, that's, that's what happens, isn't it? Hmm. Then I could have done my order to main cleric. Yeah, I knew you had that in the back of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm rolling D10s for my uh, death saves. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> no, I love my character. I don't want him to die. He's great. No. But this is a, as you say, you should get out of jail approach. or It's a something yeah. to think of in the case of we've TPK'd, it felt a bit unfair, and we're not done yet. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's definitely what I was thinking. I'm thinking also about less experienced DMs that worry about, you know, balancing encounters and what's going to happen if I kill my party and stuff. And it's like, yeah, loads of things can happen if you kill your party. Killing your party is not the end of anything. Like, there are so many ways you could get them out of that that don't involve big deals with gods, you know? Like, you know, you all wake up in a room you're not familiar with and some adventurer guy has, like, dragged you there and stitched you up or whatever. Like, there's always things you can do. Yes. But... Yeah, I thought this would be a good way of doing that. Like, hmm. it is you get out of jail recon, but it comes at some sort of cost or penalty. Sure. Or task. I guess a task isn't a penalty. I want these things to be difficult. I want them to, like, really test the play. Hmm. So it's, it's not like, oh, yeah, you're dead, but now you can do this instead, and, like, I'm, I'm going to back here because I'm a god. Yeah. It's like, this is going to be really fucking tough, and you've got to do it. And maybe you fail in doing it, but you do a really good job and like they let you off with some, you know, or, or give you something else to do afterwards or whatever. Yeah. I guess it depends on the god that they choose. But 
Yeah. Say they go with one of the gods, it's not like a one-time deal. So it's not save the halfling village. It's not steal the item. If they go for one of the gods, it's like the recurring repetitive yeah. debt. They've got the soul to pay or the money to pay. Yeah. At some point, I think I certainly would as a player, I would want to get out of that deal. Partially because of the admin of every week mm-hmm. having to deal with it, but also after a while you might think, if you're super in character, this is taking a toll on my soul. You know, I've done a deal with the bad side of life in order to come back and do what I want to do. And that's starting to get me as a character down. So could it be possible to get out your celestial telephone, ring one of the other gods and say, I'm not super into this deal. Help me out. Do you reckon we could do something like that? Yeah, so absolutely. I don't think it's as easy as getting out the celestial telephone. Um, (laughs) But definitely, I would... If it's something my party start discussing with themselves, I'd definitely try and facilitate that. Mm. But I guess the fact that you've come up with it now, let's think about how it's going to work. I think a way to do that would be all the, whatever, whatever deal you choose, the other gods feel slighted. So everyone goes to their level two deal. Well, <laughs> yeah, until they say I'm out. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I guess, I guess, particularly if you're thinking about um, Erebos, who just wants to muscle in and get souls from this plane. Like, that's a big deal for him because he's got no, no authority there, really. No skin in the game. I mean, Theros is like a, a, the physical location upon an amaterial plane, but, you know, we'll just say it's a different plane of existence. Yeah, poof, like, somewhere else. He hasn't got anything from there. He sorts out the souls on his plane, and that's it. So, like, maybe he's going to up his offer, you know? Maybe rather than just a plus one, he's also going to give them some other boon so that they're more... You know, so they have some other kind of advantage um, in bringing these souls to him. Yeah. You know, he extends extends his influence more. He tries to outbid one of the others. You've taken uh, the word out of my head. I was going to say, can we start a bidding war between gods? Yeah. I mean, for the greedy ones, you know, maybe it's a case of they've done this deal before with other people and it's been very profitable for them. So they're going to try and get them on board by offering them a sweetener that maybe yeah. looks like a good deal to the party, but actually because they've lied to them. It's going to turn out to be a bum deal. <laughs> Ooh. I don't know, a cursed item or something. Thought there, then. These are all your like intermediate deities who don't have an awful lot of power. Mm. I'm assuming that by doing something for them on the material plane, that's going to up their standing in the Pantheon, or it's going to give them some more power, some more souls, some more credence, some something. It gives them a an elevation of sorts. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, okay. They all have their own desires and whims and whatever, so... Sure. They want whatever it is from you for their own means, and then you know you could MacGuffin that into being anything. Yeah. More souls will allow him allow Ther- uh, Erebos to uh, besiege the material plane. Maybe um, if Rocknar or Erdland get enough monetary wealth, um, they're going to build some ridiculous temple or like some you know they're going to embolden their regular followers you know through through coin. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's all, there's all sorts of thematic things that could jump off of it. But I do think, yeah, they are they are keen to get you. Like, the fact they've turned up in the first place, you know. For the Raven Queen, maybe this is a bit, like, by the by. It's not such a big deal for her. Like, she's there because she thinks, like, this, should, this, this is my deal anyway. Yeah. Uh, but for the rest, like, they've got something to lose by not by not making a deal here. Mm. It's like uh, the new character on Dragon's Den every season that has to make a big impact straight away. Yes. Character. The real people. 
Yeah, the Raven Queen is Deborah Meaden in this case, and everyone else is just like upstarts coming That's through. That's it. <laughs> she's done this so many times. She's, you know... She's made her money, she's got her memories, but anything at this point is a bonus because that's the world she's in. Yeah. She doesn't want these upstart newbies, uh, you know, still <laughs> in the show. Okay. What I was getting towards then, it, what if it was like a zero-sum game? So the idea is, or an idea is, everyone that is here has some thing that they want to happen on the material plane that they can't get access to for reasons. Mm. By doing the thing for one of the gods, that negatively impacts the other ones. So say in this little mini pantheon, they've all got social standing or they've all got status. By going in with Erebos and claiming a bunch of souls, you are not just slighting the other gods, but you're actually putting them at a disadvantage when it comes to seats at the godly table or something like that. Okay. So you could at some point either be outbid or if you are deciding that you want to get out of your deal with Erebus you you do get out the phone or you you find a temple or a shrine and pray to one of the others and they say I will release you from that deal but what you've got to do is when you said that some of the gods might have had other people die and they've already sent other people out so there might be some other soul farmers in the world mm. your mate Erdlin says if you go and find these other soul reavers in the world kill them i.e remove Erebos's advantage in the material plane, I will yeah. release you. Okay. Yeah. That's how you, you could sure do that. Play them against um, each other. I'm, I'm getting yeah, deep quick, but you know. Yeah. I mean, you're thinking about it. slightly more to what I thought about it, but yeah, you could absolutely have that. Like these guys, because they're here at this, you know, you, if imagine if you're like playing it out, like the discussion, like, yeah. and they're outbidding each other and like, they come to like real serious words and like, you know, this is a clear like disagreement between these two parties. If you were to go for one of them, then yeah, maybe the other one becomes like an antagonist. You know, your goals, you know, as well as like getting souls for Erebos, you have to, you know, get souls particularly from followers of the Raven Queen, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And he's not not saying that directly because the deal has been made. But, you know, he returns you to the material plane in a place where there's just by chance a lot of followers of the Raven Queen and not a lot else. (laughs) That's cool, yeah. But no, I definitely see... I, you know when I said earlier about, um, you know, the gods feel slighted if you don't choose them? Yeah. I feel like there's going to be some sort of retribution as well coming back at the party. Mm-hmm. So, you know, other people that are, you know, in a similar deal for one of the other gods are going to come and try and mess you up. Okay, so you've entered this world of people doing stuff for these lesser gods, and at that point you're on the radar, so to speak. Yeah, you've slighted the, the other lesser gods, and they had like, you know thrown all the toys out the pram, and now they want you dead. They want you dead so that you can return to that place and, you know, be forced into a different deal. The law turns up and tries to claim you for the Raven Queen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everyone's favourite recurring character. Um, <laughs> oh, that would be funny, actually. If it was if it was tied to that other storyline and you already met the law, and, yeah. like, he was brought back to you again after you'd made friends with him, and he's like, what the hell's going on here? You know? <laughs> It's like, I gotta do it. And he's reluctantly then, like, battering against the party. <laughs> nice callback. I like a good callback. Everything we're building is on the same existence. Like, it is It is the, the how would you run that? Canon. Canon. Yeah, I think we're building a canon. Yeah. And if it contradicts itself, a wizard did it. <laughs> okay. So, we've got our party, and they're sitting among these other gods. 
in our canon, we have no problem with there being gods in the world and people are generally accepting that there are gods and divine magic is a thing that is thung. Mm-hmm. So this isn't... Comp- I mean, it, it's a it's a special occasion, but it's not entirely inconceivable that it's happened. Mm. No, absolutely. What if one of your party has a relationship with a god already? I know that in, in our mm. sort of narrations, we don't have a cleric per se, but... You could have someone that has a, a religious persuasion or a, a, maybe they've got in with a natural god, wild mother sort of thing. Or Yeah, um, I guess that would be difficult depending on, on how it sort of puts the pie with the question. Because I had imagined it like these are deals, like like a warlock yeah. patron. They're not asking for uh, any sort of reverence or... or um, like proper fealty or anything. Fealty is the word I could think of, yeah. But I guess you could have that. And then it's a challenge for them. What I'm anticipating is, like, they'd hear all the offers, and the party's like, yep, that's the one, that's the best one, let's all choose that, and they're all agreed for straight away, and yep. I don't want that to happen. I want, I want there to be some thought, and I want it to be a bit of time spent in this place that I've just bloody set up and started doing. You can't yes. pick the first offers you want. I want so, you to talk about this after the session. Talk to me next week. Yeah, this... This, <laughs> this needs to be in the WhatsApp group. <laughs> I, yeah, I've planned out all the eventualities, right? Like, don't just pick the first one. So apart from like outbidding to try and give them a sweet deal, I also think that um, if they're too quick to pick someone, or if it's like it's it's really obvious they're going to pick someone, I yeah. would then try and um, make the deal less good. Like they would like, and that would be a good one. So if you had a um, any sort of god follower in your party, hmm. um, class based or otherwise, they would ask you to to hold them as as the new god. Maybe not replace, but like you know, they would expect you to. Um, do some like there'd be some prayer or sacrifice or or um, you know incense burning or you know what what, what do you normally have people doing for gods um, you know there'd be some sort of expectation like if you ever see a follower of this place you must treat them like this you know like so your yeah. your rival or or like you know you must burn it to the ground on every Sabbath you must eat one rabbit <laughs> that'll get you why. rabbit god. <laughs> I hate that guy. Well, you got Elmer Fudd, the god. <laughs> <laughs> I hate rabbits. <laughs> so we've got the five regular gods. We've got Elmer Fudd, the sixth option. <laughs> I chose sneaky rabbit. <laughs> yeah, having that religious character in your party, I think it actually makes this a bit easier, possibly for you as a DM, because there ought that well there ought to be that immediate moral quandary if you've got mm. a paladin a cleric to somebody you know one of your traditional big name run of the mill good gods yep and you're coming in there with these slightly murky deals kill all these things steal all this stuff that should put them ill at ease and that should get the conversation yeah. flowing of i can't possibly go murdering souls all the time or does it count if it, if they're already evil people do you want evil souls and you can it can yeah it can be any soul so basically it's just you have to do you know it has to be someone yeah you, know, you as a group have this quota to meet because i think um, players have got no problem murdering the life out of everything yeah but some is, characters should yes and that's that's what that's my hope like i'm 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 sort of i like putting hopefully difficult moral questions on my party like what Hmm. would i do what should i do am i okay with this sort of thing you know and if they're maybe not okay with it it's like how can i make them a bit more okay with it or they're too too okay with it how can i make it a bit more difficult you know like i don't again like i said i don't want it to be like a really 
simple choice for them. I want them to have mm. to um and ah and argue maybe a little bit about what they think is best. How would you make the deal less sweet? So say they've heard the Raven Queen's offer and the party go, yep, sounds good. How do you make it at that point? How do you go back on her offer? Okay, so as she's about to like accept the deal done, um, you know, she, she has some sort of change of heart or some sort of messenger appears to her. Like, you know, okay. um, so this is this giant hooded raven's head in a chair. Yeah. All of a sudden, the rest of the raven appears and leans toward, like the rest, like the, the rest of the cloak with like raven's feet at the bottom. Oh, yeah. Without the, he- oh. without the head. This is, this is how I imagine it. Without the head, like, so appears next to her in like a plume of, like, a, like an explosion of feathers um, nice. silently and sort of leans towards her and like raises its hand as if it's whispering. But there's obviously no head to, you know, to distract. But yeah, and That's then whispers cool. something. Cool. And she turns around, it's like, I have changed my offer. And then, you know, um, right. ra- rather than just, um, you know, you are marked by me from now until your death. Instead, um, you're marked yeah. by me and you've got 60 days. See you in two months. You must aid my, you know, followers in this place or that place, you know. And then, you know, when you leave here, I will send you to them. And then... You know, you've got some Raven Queen followers, you know, Shadow can I say, on the material plane, and they're doing something, and you've been sent there as muscle to back them up in something. And it's not something you want to do. Yeah, okay. I guess I would explain it as well, like, you know, my followers in place X are planning to overthrow the king, do X, do Y, something like pretty bad. I say, you must assist them, that is the new deal. I'm with it, okay, that's cool. They've got the option then to pull out. Yeah. And I guess I'd have then, again, another... Another god butting in, trying to steal the deal at the last. Yeah. There was an idea I had as you were saying those things. Um, mm-hmm. It could be that if they... Maybe you consider that every one of these gods actually has something that they're not telling the party. So let's say the Raven Queen, for example, is go forth and sow some tragedy and I will mark you and when you die, your memories are mine. Cool. What she's mm-hmm. not telling you is, and I'm putting a time limit on you because I, you will be dead in 60 days for example, or yeah. whatever. And so she doesn't say that. And then if the, guy, if the party is like, yep, we're doing your deal, one of the other gods can chip in like, hey, you didn't mention the thing that you always do. You always kill people within two months. And they're like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, that'd be good. You could have the gods bad-mouthing each other. Yeah, so this, if everyone's got like one secret or one clause. It is, it's Dragon's Den, but yeah. with a bit more at stake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine BBC show like, okay, I've come up the lift and I'm here bartering for my life. <laughs> oh, I couldn't imagine that on BBC. Oh, oh. No, probably not BBC. That's a Channel 4 show. Channel 4 show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's, that's Black Mirror sort of thing. It is a bit, isn't it? Absolutely. Bartering. I mean, actually, that does sound like a Black Mirror episode. Yeah, maybe, maybe it already exists. Maybe like no ideas for original, really. If not, we need to ch- like tweet Charlie Brooker. I really like Charlie Brooker. I would love to have any reason to be in touch with him. He's like his books are like my holiday fuel. Yeah, I've not read one of his books. Ah, uh, I've got a few of them. They're basically like collections of his um, of articles and stuff that he's written. Yeah, um, but I just love his sort of like oh, so miserable, sarcastic. Like it's so good. <laughs> it's also, so bitter, I, but sweet. Yeah. Yeah, also, I love the fact that he's, he's he's married and has kids with Connie Hook from Blue Peter. Like, what the yeah, fuck? Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> she, she, she must be so wholesome and he just seems so not. I know, like, yeah, that's that's it. Like, yeah, yin and yang once again. Quite. So anyway, next to Elmer Fudge, you've got Charlie Brooker on a pedestal. Yes, and he's he just in there. Sh- he just tells you to kill yourself. 
Oh, fuck it, end it all. You've come this far. <laughs> You're not going to get a better deal from these guys. Might as well top yourself. Yeah, oh. you might end up on the astral plane. Oh. Who knows? <laughs> I do think with this, aside from their regular deal, whatever it is they have, like there'll be other envoys and you know followers that will interact with the party knowing they've done the deal, um, either for, for, for that god or for one of the other gods that was part of that group. Mm. Um, to try and tempt them with other offers or like say that you must do this you know like basically the god has changed the deal and they have no choice in the matter oh that's horrible and yeah. that would spark the reason to try and get out of the deal if it starts going too sour yeah. too quickly and like, no we're not doing this anymore this is, this is bullshit yeah I mean you can, you can see it right they're in a big city they're there doing whatever they're shopping thing and as they're sort of like walking past an alley someone shouts out at them and like you know gestures and all like flashes the, the the symbol of the naked mole rat you know and like they know straight away so we've got a naked flasher in an alley standard well yeah you know it's it's it's, it's Erdland symbol <laughs> i've just got ron stoppable in an alley with his mole rat yeah. <laughs> ron stoppable what a character <laughs> that show really just made naked mole rats a thing like did yes. anyone know they existed before then no, it felt like it was like a throwaway 90s cartoon reference a bit. Mm. As like being the, the crappiest of pets. Yeah. It was never a character. Rufus. And they made Rufus pretty cute. Yeah. But have you seen those things like an actual nature shows? They're, they're horrible. Oh yeah, they are like bull sacks with claws. Yeah. Anyway, so we've got a guy that's got a bit of parchment, one of these on it, like <laughs> sort of like waving it at you. Um, like he can be a flasher as well. It doesn't necessarily mean he. Ha- yeah, he doesn't have to be clothed. Maybe that's what his followers do. That, maybe that's just maybe his that's deal with the gods. Maybe that's one of the um, you know the things that um, he throws into the deal to make it less attractive. You know, like you, one of you must be naked at all times as a you know a show of devotion to me. You'd call bullshit at that point, wouldn't you? You're like, no. Well, how about rather than naked? Then like you have to wear a big flasher trench coat. Like a fantasy trench coat, not like a proper one, but like, you know, a big old coat. Oh, and you coat could thing. sell it like they're being a big edgelord. Like, the Matrix has just come out and everyone wants a big leather trench coat. Like, yeah, you look so cool. The consequence of that maybe being that you can't wear armour. Mm. You know, so being spellcasters, meh, not such a big deal. I wear robes anyway. It's a different set of robes. Yeah. Being martial classes, it's like, fuck, if we have to sign up with this guy, like, I'm going to be pretty balls in combat. I need to learn Kung Fu in order to kick any sort of ass. <laughs> Everyone just instantly takes a level in monk. <laughs> Guess that's interesting. What could be like negative things to add in? Go on, let's think of some of those. So yeah, you, like your your big penalty ones were were crushing. You know, we're talking removal of ability scores. Constitution's a wonderful one to sap because it feels like it doesn't matter until it really, really does. Well, it's directly connected to your to your you know life essence. If we're, yeah. if we're saying that, you know, like. They have died and come back. Your ability to gain HP when you level up. Yeah. It's going to affect your wizards for concentration, sp- uh, concentration saves. Yeah, um, or anyone for concentration if they've got... Yeah, poison traps. You know, they happen all the time. <laughs> Even more so since we did that deal. <laughs> <laughs> if it's a poison trap that got us into this mess. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe depending on how you kill the party in the TPK, you could, like have them have some sort of... Let's say, especially if they all died in the same way, they all fell into lava, you make it so that they are they all come back to life, but they're all, like, weak to fire damage. Mm. Or even resistant to fire damage, or something like, you clearly 
tripped into this problem, so I'm going to help you out with that thing, but I'm going to take away with that. I giveth and I taketh away. I like that. I I do like because I like I like you know like if you just keep getting buffs and buffs and buffs, fine. You just it's like a video game. You're just leveling up and getting better. But trading buffs and yeah, I, like reskilling yeah. yourself. I do like the idea of giving the party like a group vulnerability as well as a buff because then you know if you get into a situation with some sort of fire creature and you're weak to fire like that's instantly like such bigger stakes for the group mm. and to do it on mass as a group is actually quite quite devious isn't it yeah because you you know you get in there and it's like oh you know i've got resistant to fire damage because of my bracelet i'll go toe to toe with this guy Yes. Like, no, now actually it's like, oh, fuck, we all want to sort of stay away from that guy because we could die again. Yeah. I think it's a cool thing, though. I think that maybe the, the, the weakness to a certain damage type, maybe you don't want to do that. I think I would. I think that's quite cool. But you could do something like, I will give you plus one intelligence for minus one wisdom or something. Or you can start playing with people's ability scores in general. Yeah. A good one might be um, if they're going to be physically marked in some way by the god they've done the deal with. Like yeah. you know, some sort of symbol, like minus charisma, or like like, a, like oh, or yeah. persuasion, or for your face tattoo. <laughs> yeah, people see that you have a giant naked mole rat tattooed on your forehead and think <laughs> you're not so uh, intimidating now, fancy boy. Yeah, smooth talker. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't think I'm going to give you a discount on this cheap health potion that I've already discounted. <laughs> Please don't kill me and burn my family down. Burn my whole family down. Yeah, let's burn them down though as well. Like you start at the bottom, and <laughs> they're still stunned. They crumple after a while. I but will burn just... you to the ground. What do you even mean by that? Shut up. Burn your family down. It's like uh, the great insult. Go piss yourself. <laughs> it's like you know what it means, but it's just not quite it's right. Somehow not terribly intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have that one for free. I guess one other thing, then, I think we could probably have a little talk about is one of these sort of single hit quests. I think mm. I'm. I would normally be interested in the heisty thing, steal the thing, but I think well, there are so many people that talk heists and know heists that maybe I was wondering more about the save the halflings one. Yeah, I don't know why I said saving halflings. Oh, that's fine. Go to Hobbiton, stop Sauron, job done. <laughs> I guess I guess it's just from reading more than kind of two of those again. Like it talks about like halflings, and they're very much. I mean, they're very much Tolkien esque. Like you know, they are halflings that yes. are hobbits. They live in a place that is the Shire and do things like skimming stones over water and like you know living in little villages. Um, wholesome little bundles of love. Too wholesome. So wholesome and innocent that, you know, a regular band of wandering orcs going to come in and fuck them up. So you've got to go save them. You've got um, to preserve the innocence of the halfling village. And that's yeah. what Moonbow's all about. Yeah. I think... Okay, let's make it different. Rather than the party goes in and has to fight something, I yeah. think we do it slightly differently. So if, if this group of halflings are so innocent and, you know, carefree... Seheni Mumbo is basically telling the party, like, you have to go and help them defend themselves. You have to, you know, inspire them into action. You have to sort out their, you know, they haven't got any defences. Like, they're basically like a village in the middle of a field. Like, okay. help them. Help because, them do it on their terms. Yeah, you know, you can, you can, you know, teach man to fish sort of thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. So party arrives there, like, yeah, we can do something good. And basically no one cares. None of the hobbits care or believe them, and they're incredibly lazy, and you know they're fat off the land, which is why that's they're so a, lazy. But it's also that's why all the things that come around here. Yeah. Oh no 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 no! Like all you troll makers, get out of here. So you know, there's there's nothing to be done. Mm. Um, you know, and then you set like a, an arbitrary time limit, like a couple of days or a week or whatever. So the party have got time to try and convince them because they're in this deal. They need to make sure these guys are all right. They can go out and gather evidence. They can. Yeah. Search part. I mean, you couldn't get a search party, but you could go, look, I went to the forest two days away, and here is the head of an orc that was just chilling. <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing, like, look at all these orc heads. This could be you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the thing. And ultimately, if you fail to convince them for whatever reason, then the attack happens, you don't have the support of the halflings, and they start getting killed off, you know, in rounds mm. of combat. Think, I'm thinking like XCOM, when you've got civilians on the on the map. Yeah, sure. Like, they're just around the battle map and they get attacked and die and you've got to try and save as many of them as possible yeah cool then they learn the lesson then they're up for you know buying into to some sort of training montage um but yeah the party basically have had a little crap time of trying to convince them and try and do some or even like if they take it upon themselves to build the battlements or something yeah that's interesting to try and plan out i've, I've realized we're sort of diverging a little bit and getting into that particular scenario mm. but you know when you're planning a something and you know, roll persuasion or whatever and it goes wrong this i find it very frustrating as a dm to know that there's information that your party doesn't get mm-hmm. and i've said before i like there to be many ways to get the information but say you roll into town and there are a bunch of impotent can't be asked non-believers of bad things in the world halflings mm-hmm. and you walk in like problems in the world they're coming your way how do you present that to a party how do you run that in such a way that it's not demoralizing because everyone they talk to is like ah get out of it everything's fine like how how do you make them persuasive enough maybe you have to find like an ally or yeah someone yeah. exactly so so i would say there's probably like a mayor of the town like some important guy that everyone would listen to okay and let's say that he has uh, a son or daughter that is the mm-hmm. only one that listens to you. Cool. Okay. Uh, and after you've gone around the houses and, you know, not got anywhere with anyone, you by chance hear about, oh, you're just like the mayor's daughter. You know, it's like, oh, oh it was the mayor's daughter. Oh, she's locked up for causing trouble. And like, she's in the, the small pokey jail and she's the only one that listens to you and believes you. She's yep. at the top of a tower with very long hair. <laughs> 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 it's a small sleepy halfling village with a giant tower <laughs> I mean a giant halfling tower is just a regular tower yeah exactly yeah <laughs> she is the top of the tallest tower in all the land it's slightly taller than your druid yeah and all of the land is just the uh, just the village yeah <laughs> within from where you stand in the centre of town you can see larger towers on the horizon <laughs> Siege towers from the orcs steadily moving towards them. They're refusing to notice. <laughs> Why do the orcs have siege towers? They've heard it's a big village. They've heard it's a big town. Like, oh, the half thing, they've been living there for thousands of years, undefeated. We'd better bring our biggest army. They get there. It's just the little village of Hobbiton. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, let's get a siege engine in there when they actually attack. So, yeah, arbitrary time runs out. It's a week. Yep. You know, you have or haven't persuaded uh, the rest of the village to do anything with you, and you know, maybe you've had time to 
train them, you know, or with 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 rudimentary weapons or like Let's dish them out down to, to business. Yeah, exactly. Got to defeat the Hun. Yeah, um, and then the <laughs> and then the siege towers <laughs> arrive on the seventh day, and you're eating your rabbit, you know, peacefully, and then. Yeah, you have the you have the combat against the orcs, and you know, depending on how much influence you manage to exert in the town, um, they are more or less likely to help. And otherwise, it's just yeah. a tough combat against a lot of things. Sure, yeah, you might have battlements or people that can keep someone at bay, so not everything rolls in on turn one, or they survive a couple of rounds. Yeah, they know to take the dodge action, you know, because you've taught them to hold their shield and wooden sword. Yeah, you know, rather than just being like out in a hammock and getting stabbed. Sure, you've trained some of them in the art of archery and they've taken the highest point in town, that eight-foot tower, yes. but they can pick off a couple of infantry folk as they come towards you. you know, there are small benefits, but you're still doing the, the majority of the work. Yeah, absolutely, but like it would slow down the attackers because they're more spread out yep. uh, and you will take less casualties and therefore feel less guilt. Quite. Moombo will smile upon you. She'd probably be, yeah, the more you can save, the better she'll be happy, you know. And confident in the fact that after you leave, that they'll be taking this seriously and uh, look after themselves. The more persuasion you get through, the better moon, the better a job Moonbo thinks you're doing. So when, on the night of the attack, it's a full moon and it's well lit, so you can see mm. for that night. You get yes. the boon of the goddess. What would the boon of the goddess be? In this case, I just mean like a clear night and a particularly okay, strong, sure. strong light, so you, you you can see into the forests, or maybe yeah. the. It glows with a special light that evening and it highlights orc helmets or something so you can get all those pew-pew headshots. Yeah, let's do that. Just rolling everything behind the screen anyway, so like just, just make a few more of those hits hit from the yeah. uh, from the halfing archers. Well, that's it. You could even just drop the AC a bit, couldn't you? But... Yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. Maybe maybe the fact that, you know, they've got, um, you know, they're holding a bit of wood with a handle, you know, that gives them that little bit extra AC that otherwise they wouldn't, again, when they're just laying in their hammock waiting to get stabbed. <laughs> I love the idea of what you said about the um, the tower being really small, though. Like, right. I'm imagining now, like, talking about siege engines and stuff, I'm thinking of Lord of the Rings, and I'm thinking of, yeah, like, okay. Helm's Deep and Minas Tirith, but imagine if that same sort of, like, dramatic atmosphere with a group of halflings, you know, like, little popular things like, to the battlements! And they all, like, <laughs> take one step up, and that's it, you know? <laughs> One sandbag. From our elevated okay. position, <laughs> surely we will triumph. As he waves, like, not even a sword, he's got, like, um, a turkey leg or something, you know. <laughs> Sharpened bone. No, no, I'm thinking I'm thinking still with the meat on it, you know. It's like, that, oh, wow. That, it's like, that's his club, and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm. Yeah. Like, they're not really taking it seriously, but they think they are. Yeah, this is the mightiest weapon I've ever held. It's like, yes. <laughs> My father gave me this turkey. <laughs> Ten minutes ago. <laughs> it's, it's been in my family for hours. <laughs> These halflings are morons. I kind of feel like they deserve to be extinguished. But No, that's, that's why I think that's, that's... It's oddly charming and oddly, like, yeah, like, they mm. are just absolute fuckwits. But it's charmingly so, and it's endearing. Yeah, because they're trying, and they think they're doing a great job, even though they're so obviously just going to get murdered on their own. And you get the opportunity to write some little comedic combat moments. You know, they they bang them on the head or they throw a cauldron over somebody and it's like, dong. Yeah, improvised weapons, definitely. Yeah, um, all the silly stuff that's basically Home Alone traps that shouldn't <laughs> actually... <laughs> <laughs> you got the fancy paintings. 
Yeah, yeah. Basically, you've got a town of Kevin McAllisters, but way more innocent. Cool. Okay, I'm going to try and circle it back around, bring it back to your various gods. Then, mm-hmm. could you partly try and fight the gods, the little lesser gods? I mean, bad um, idea. No, because they're like I said at the start, they're not. They're not in their real material forms. They can see their bodies in front of them. Ah, oh, right. Okay, okay. They are detached from their bodies, and as such, you know, they have no armaments, or you know, if they try and do spells, like nothing's happening because they are representations of themselves. You have no power here. <laughs> Try and jump back into their own body. Like, like dive in and be like, just hit the floor. <laughs> Good. Okay, that's an important thing to get out of the way because you know what some parties will do? They will try and hit everything. Yes. <laughs> but they can't. It's like they're punching through treacle. Cool. So your intervention... I know we had some little worries about the idea of divine intervention because it's it can feel like a real... Well, literally... Deus Ex Machina, can't it? Like, mm. the gods have involved themselves and fixed your problem, but this is a cool little way of... Yeah, they fixed the problem, but it's... Mm. But but have they? If anything, they've created a, a secondary problem. They've added more problems. Well, I think that's that's good, though. Like, I do like that in a story when it's not just like, this is the story, we go from A to B. You know, it's like, all these other things are happening and they can distract you and take you on other courses and sort of, like, change the narrative of whatever it is you're doing anyway. Yeah. Um, We'll call these the Onion Gods for adding extra layers. The Onion Gods, yes. And they got Shrek, obviously, in the seventh <laughs> seat now, um, next to Elmer Fudd and... Uh, Ch- Charlie Brooker? Charlie Brooker, God. Yeah. Let's get rid of the actual gods. Let's just have, like, whoever we name during the podcast. Like, just them, like... That will be our canon pantheon. <laughs> Shrek, Shrek's deal is, I want you to stay out of my swamp. <laughs> That's it. I'll bring you back to life. You just can't go to the swamp. <laughs> it's not a jungle you're in. You're like in his sw- you're in the swamp again. And like, this, that's where the audience is taking care of. I don't care. Get the fuck out. I'll bring you back to life, but you have to never, ever come back. Yeah. And the Raven Queen's like, fuck, this guy's powerful. Best do what he says. <laughs> All in. Congrats. Good sesh. I like it. It's a cool idea. It's a nice little play that means that your gods have some relevance to not just your religious characters. Um, Gives some of the intermediate deities a bit of airtime, which is, you know, cool. Yeah. I mean, again, like like I said right at the start, putting some lesser known gods in there means you can make them whatever you want. You know, If, if all they're known for is being greedy, maybe they're greedy for something very particular. Yeah. You do whatever you want. Winnie the, yeah, Winnie the Pooh is the greedy god. Like, oh, you must bother. bring me all the honey. <laughs> also, take this pig with you. <laughs> the pig must survive at all costs. You should be more careful with your words and the presence of God's adventurers. This discussion draws on too long. My offer is rescinded. And with that, the hooded raven's head exploded into a plume of black-grey feathers that drifted slowly to the ground and turned to white ash as they landed upon the great stone throne and surrounding vegetation. Best let me do the talking, said Vestel, as she stepped in front of Snips to address the remaining deities. She studied each of them in turn before speaking. The ancient amphitheatre hummed with the noise of insects and tropical birds that lived in this remote jungle. It would surely be uncomfortably humid, were we not in these astral forms, she thought, 
glancing at the pile of charred bodies slumped in a heap. Krunk was kneeling over his remains, sobbing weakly and trying to claw at his true self with his astral form, but each meek swipe of his hand simply brushed through the burnt body without making contact with his material self. Too many distractions. I need to focus, she thought. Perhaps in this form I could still... Hmm. Nothing to lose, I suppose? With that, she strode over to her burnt remains, reached in to attempt to grasp the licorice root in her component pouch, whispered an incantation under her breath. Reditus Ienenium. And at once, time slowed around her. All of the buzz and noise of the local wildlife slowed into a clear, soothing tone. Her companions watching her struggled to understand what happened next. She seemed to move at double pace between each of the thrones, her speech incomprehensible as she talked to each of the seated figures still present, and they in turn responded to her at an increased pace. What's happening? I don't know. Then it is done. The pact is sealed. You all regret this decision, Moyles. Mark my words, called out one of the other gods as he too vanished from his throne. A black portal opened in front of Erevos, who stood now much taller than he appeared to have been while seated, his form disguised by the fine robe adoring his slim figure. The sky darkened with stormy clouds and lightning began to strike. Walk through the portal and be reborn. Mistel turned to the party as her long silver hair whipped and swirled in the wind. Her robes billowed as she pulled and struggled to steady herself. What the blazes have you done? called out Fortescue, barely audible over the growing winds. I've saved our lives. Now come on. The vortex grew as the last remaining light dimmed, and unnervingly, all colour drained from the scene. The lush vegetation in the overgrown amphitheatre and surroundings seemed to shrivel and die before their eyes. The other gods had all left by now, with only Erebos, arms raised to the sky, directing the violent events remaining. We have to go now! You have to trust me! All of you! I have a plan! And with that, Vestel dashed into the portal, disappearing into the void which then lashed out with black tendrils and pulled in the rest of the unwilling party. Go on then, what you got for me next week? Yeah, okay, Jake. The 45th President of the United States, Donald Trump. How would you run that? That's... So oddly specific and yet so oddly broad. Well, you can do whatever you like. Okay. As ever, yeah, the thoughts immediately begin. I have some ideas. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of our D&D podcast, How Would You Run That? Please give a like or subscribe wherever it is you get your podcasts. In particular, it'd be great if you could leave us some comments on iTunes and voice notes on the Anchor platform, anchor.fm. Spread the word, and we'll speak to you again next week. Thanks, everyone. Catch you later.